0: Everyone is a character. All characters are Tatiana. Conclusion, Tatiana is everyone.
1: You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone,
2: an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie, and in this episode, we are discussing Episode 8 of Season 3 of Orphan Black, Ruthless in Purpose and Insidious in Method. While there will be spoilers for that episode, there will be no spoilers for future episodes because I know nothing. (laughs) Because you know nothing? I know nothing about future episodes. I know nothing.
1: Oh, about future episodes.
2: Yes. Chris knows something. I know nothing. And
1: (laughs) I told Stephanie, like, I desperately want to talk to you about... The stuff in the trailer for next week's episode.
2: And I even gave you permission, but you held it in. You held it in.
1: I did. I held it in. I was like, no, no. I'll wait until somebody else has seen it, and then I can talk to them about it.
2: I feel like maybe I should admit off the bat that I now feel completely unmoored as we begin to talk about this episode, because – Chris was like, "Oh, that thing that you thought that happened at the end? No, that's not what happened." I was like, "Really?" And yep, Chris is right. Yeah, which uh, changes my perspective on a huge chunk of the episode. <laughs> Damn it, for <Ophan> Black. <laughs> so it happens to
1: all of us, is what <laughs> is what Stephanie is saying.
2: Yes, it's all of these sneaky little partial, not full glimpses of things. They throw you off sometimes. It worked.
1: And Stephanie was just so certain about it, and uh, now she's not so certain.
2: Nope. I'm not. But to be fair to me, though, I'd only watched it the once, and, and the thing that, that confused me, it it's very brief, so it's not, it, you know, I feel like it's understandable that I misconstrued that moment. Right. But I will try to power through, even though I'm feeling a little, a little off-kilter. So let's, can I start with the song, Chris? Can I start with the song?
1: I'm not going to stop you.
2: Dun, 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 dun. Bookish combat! <laughs> I feel like that should have been like the theme music for this episode. <laughs> really at the heart of this episode, the big question was who do we trust, Delphine or Rachel? Two people that the Clone Club is not feeling very good about trusting at the moment and you know that but that was essentially we hear this throughout the episode people debating well can we trust delphine a lot of people arguing in delphine's favor <laughs> and but the the clone club saying uh i think we're going to go with rachel on this one and and i thought that was it was kind of interesting the way that that played out
1: well it's sort of what we've been talking about all season is and especially more recently where the power imbalance is such that i can kind of see why they'd go with rachel right because, you know, Rachel has no power, mm-hmm. and Delphine has all the power. Not all mm-hmm. the power, but, you know, more power than I think most of our main characters are comfortable with. Right. So I get why they went with Rachel. It's one of those things, though, because from what we've seen, Delphine, we know she means well, but she very often ends up getting played. Right. By other characters because of her good intentions, I think.
2: Well, and and... Because that's my question here, is even if they decided to trust Delphine, I feel like Rachel still probably could have gotten her hands on what she really wanted.
1: It certainly felt that way by the end of the episode, yeah.
2: Right, because clearly Dr. Nealon had access to the book and Delphine, and you know, they could have worked it out either way, regardless of who got the book. Yep. But we we did see both Scott and, and Mrs. S arguing for Delphine. <laughs> i'm trying to remember if anybody argued for rachel i don't think they did (laughs) i feel like it was just sarah and and kasima being like no i don't know that we trust delphine right now
1: yeah it it is one of those uh, there are feelings involved for various reasons and i get it but at the same time you know it's not necessarily smart but then it's like but is there any smart choice in this situation i don't think there is
2: no there was not really a good choice here i don't think Everybody's just always trying their hardest. But again, this week, I'm left with this question, I think, based on like fan reactions and what I've been seeing people saying, like the question of was Cosima being smart and cautious about not wanting to give the book to Delphine? Or was she being petulantly bratty about not trusting Delphine with the book? And again, my answer, I feel like is a little bit of both. I was gonna say, to me,
1: it's not an either or situation. Yeah. There's resentment in there, but there's also a little bit of, you know, common sense.
2: Right. Because I feel like even if Cosima trusted that Delphine wouldn't use the book against her, she, you know, I I can see why she'd be cautious to hand over something that valuable to someone so embedded within Dyad slash Topside as an organization. You know, because I think that's even like how she phrased it to Delphine's like, we were worried you'd give it to Topside. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think that, Cosima, I saw people saying like she was being really stubborn about not giving Delphine the book. And I, there was some of that there, I think, but I, I don't think it was entirely unwise of her not to want to give it to her.
1: Right. Well, I mean, Delphine has a history of, here's, here's my blood sample, Delphine, don't give it to Dyad. And what's the next thing we see? We see Delphine giving it to Dyad. So again, good intentions, but it's still going against the wishes of those involved, so it's hard to say.
2: Yeah, I feel like Delphine and Mrs. S, at least up through this season, were kind of in the same category where I, I did feel like their intentions were good and they were, they were an ally to the clones, but they were very unpredictable mm-hmm. in what they would do. So it made it kind of... You know, there was an allyship there, but it, there was some tension because, you know, we have Mrs. S who trades Helena for Sarah and Kira. We have Delphine who, like you said, gave the blood samples to, to Dyad. You know, th- again, they're, they're well intentioned. They want to take care of the people that they really value, but it's at the expense of other people and not necessarily what the person they're trying to protect would want them to do.
1: Right. Tricky situation all around. Yeah. And we got an email. Aaron says, I'm glad Delphine knows about the book and called Scott and Cosima out again because they deserved it. I'm glad Cosima made a copy of the book, but she still should have told Delphine from the beginning because she might be able to decode it as well. It's also fun to see Rachel plotting against Delphine still and watching their battle, but I do hope Delphine outwits her.
2: And that's my hope, too. We mentioned in our short episode, I, I really hope that Delphine had some has some cards up her sleeve that we haven't seen yet. If nothing else, I'm tired of her getting duped.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we don't. As we've discussed also, we don't know what all Delphine has been doing, especially in the beginning of the season. It's possible that she has made contacts with people, formed alliances or something. Like, we don't know. Mm -hmm. So I I hope that whatever she did earlier this season, in Europe or wherever, (laughs) will come into play in the next two episodes.
2: Right, because Delphine made very clear in this episode that she would really like to be rid of Rachel. So there there is no love lost between the two of them. Understandably. And,
1: yeah, what with Rachel's whole trying to eliminate the Leda clones. Right. Or our group of Leda clones.
2: Right. And so this could conceivably be part of a Delphine plot to to do that, to like finally Take care of Rachel in some way. I'm not saying she's going to kill her, but, you know, take care of her in some way so that she is no longer a threat to at least Kissima in this little section of Clone Club. And where was Rachel sent? She was sent to Germany. Where was Delphine at the first part of the season? In Europe. Maybe even in Germany, <laughs> because she makes a reference to sending, what was his face? Ferdinand to Berlin, I believe. So it's possible she went with him. But could be a stretch. I'm, you know, this is me just hoping, but it's plausible, I think. hmm Time will tell. The next
1: two weeks will tell.
2: I can't believe we only have two episodes left in the season. I
1: know, it's insane. But at the same time, I'm kind of glad because I don't know that my heart can take it much longer. <laughs> I am so stressed out all the time now, Stephanie. Oh. <sighs> anyway, on that cheery note, let's move on. <laughs>
2: And we also got an email from Colleen, and she was talking about the idea of bringing in a cryptographer to deal with the book, now that they have a couple of pages that have been decoded by Rachel.
1: Which also occurred to me when we were watching the episode, because it was like, well, they've got some of it decoded. Theoretically, they could work backwards to at least decode some of it, right?
2: Maybe? Maybe. Well, and because what it seemed like to me was the symbols that they saw in the margins, that indicated whatever type of pattern Rachel used for circling the words and such. So if nothing else, if other pages have that same symbol on it, they could theoretically decode those pages. But yeah, like, could they not get somebody who was more skilled at, at codes and things like that to come in and be like, oh, okay, I have these two to go on and yeah, I figured it out. Just throwing it out there. I mean, that's
1: a plan, at least.
2: <laughs> All hope is not lost, right? And maybe maybe they'll bring it up next episode. Maybe they'll have a throwaway line about having cryptographers working on it or having had a cryptographer looked at it and not being successful. But I think that's a good point as to a possible solution, given that Rachel is now gone.
1: Mm-hmm. And like, even, you know, Scott and Kasima both seem sort of nerdy enough in that particular way that maybe they're into that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there.
2: They have decoded stuff before. True. Delphine and Rachel and uh, Kazima did at the end of season one. Right. We got an email from Nikki who said, oh, Rachel, I was starting to feel bad for her after 306 and started thinking maybe she's changed a bit, but she's still the same Rachel with her self-agenda, not giving a damn about everyone else about anyone else. She knows deciphering the book could lead to a cure for Cosima, but she just doesn't care. Seeing that Rachel crossed the sisters and Delphine, I was excited to see that Dr. Nealon crosses her and hands her over to Castor. Things will not be going the way she planned.
1: I don't think that's what happened, Nikki. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that's what
2: happened. I think that was exactly what Rachel planned. Yeah, I think so too.
1: I'm not sure that's Castor either.
2: Yeah, but that was Rachel's plan, I believe, to get out of where she was at Dyad and rehabilitate herself somewhere else. Right. But I don't know. I guess we'll see.
1: Never, never count anything out,
2: right? Rachel, Rachel, Rachel. Uh, <laughs> I liked this note that we got from Francie, who we should say lives in Germany. <laughs> she asked, why is Rachel in Germany? I don't want her here. <laughs> wanted to fly to taiwan and a simple prosthetic eye is kind of a letdown i wanted her to get a really cool cyborg eye with x-ray or stuff like that
1: (laughs) they didn't they didn't specify what kind of prosthetic eye she was getting i'm just gonna say that
2: (laughs) (laughs) but given you know the the idea of biomodifications that was introduced in season one it would be a bit of a letdown if all they did give her was a prosthetic eye (laughs) i know
1: but, yeah, in terms of flying to Taiwan, though, I think that was one of those things you don't want to actually do that because that's what you told your enemies that you exactly. were going to do. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Taiwan was a smokescreen. She never planned to do that. She wanted to execute this thing where she gets out of Dyad. And, yeah. But I'm sorry, she's in your country, <laughs> Francie. <laughs>
1: There was also, I I appreciated the scene, since we're talking about Rachel, I appreciated the scene where she is putting on lipstick in preparation of the video chat with Sarah.
2: I felt like that lipstick was not quite her shade, though. It was pretty red. It was pretty red, but maybe it was just because she didn't have on the other makeup she usually used. The shade looked a little off to me. Yeah, I don't know.
1: It did complement the eye patch nicely.
2: (laughs) Perhaps... Perhaps she instructed Scott to to go get her a particular shade of lipstick, and they didn't have it, and he was like, well, this is close enough. Could be.
1: It could be that she just said, you know, bring me lipstick, and...
2: That's what she got.
1: And Scott just doesn't know. I don't know.
2: But you're right. It was very Rachel to do that. She would want to try to look her best before entering a negotiation. Exactly. Bit of a uh,
1: power move. I also appreciate... I don't know if appreciate is really the right word, but, you know, she's just outsmarting everybody. Scott, Kasima, Sarah, Mrs. S, kind of. Which is not surprising. No, it's not.
2: Like Nikki mentioned, I was, got to the point where I was feeling sorry for Rachel. I always kind of was guardedly sorry for her. I She's like a coiled snake and could strike at any moment, even when she seemed pretty, you know, defenseless. I'm still like, Ugh. I don't know. I feel like Rachel's resilient, and and she is. It's not surprising to me at all that she managed to cook up this pretty intricate plan to escape from her situation. Yep. Recruiting Dr. Nealon.
1: Why weren't we paying closer attention to Dr. Nealon?
2: Well, okay, and I I don't think I mentioned this when, and when the season started, because there's, there's just always so much to talk about. But I had that thought, like, why is he taking over at Dyad. Like, why would Delphine let him do that? She knows the type of procedures that he was going to do on on Sarah, presumably, given the, the her position of power and the type of information she seems to have access to now. Like, why would she allow him to step into that position?
1: I don't know that she had a choice, is the thing.
2: Well, fair. But it just, I don't know, this episode, it felt like she was too cozy with him. I was like, Delphine is the smarts. Yeah. This man is this man is not trustworthy.
1: But I do think it's one of those you know, keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer kind of things too, potentially. I don't know.
2: But I was also recalling the fact that Dr. Nealon was the one who confronted Delphine about not having favorites when it came to the Leda clones back in episode 1. And clearly he has demonstrated he will go above and beyond for his favorites.
1: Well, wasn't that how that conversation started? I thought was yes delphine makes that point to him
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then he's like yeah you can't either basically it was his response so
2: right yeah so
1: really should have seen it coming <laughs>
2: yep i guess is what i'm saying so where do we think rachel went she seemed to be in germany with the german speaking in the operating room right but who was the woman on the phone to dr Nealon?
1: i i it's tatiana Mislani, probably
2: that's a good guess that's, that's a joke <laughs>
1: i I don't actually know, <laughs> I don't know, but if I had to guess based on not nothing but close to nothing, <laughs> I'm gonna say it's uh it's Su- susan duncan,
2: so we're we're speculating that neither of of Rachel's parents were actually dead.
1: That is what I am saying, yes,
2: hmm, -hmm <laughs> hmm. I wonder if we'll get that reveal next week or if they'll make us wait. I'm not sure who
1: do you think it was?
2: I have absolutely no effing idea. None. Again, unmoored. Completely <laughs> thrown off balance. I have no idea I, if I even understand this episode anymore, Chris. <laughs> because you did think- side. Let's not go into that. Oh, Let's not okay. go into that.
1: <laughs> Do we not want to talk about that?
2: Okay, fine. So, when we first watched the episode, I thought that was Dr. Cody on the phone.
1: I think I thought it could be, but I wasn't that sure, because it doesn't look like her hair and to me it the woman sounds like she might have a british accent but you disagree with me on that
2: well i i don't think it sounds particularly british it could be but i thought it sounded fairly fairly neutral and i thought it sounded like dr cody on rewatch though i can see that it's a woman with blonde hair not a woman with gray hair so send us your theories <laughs> That completely threw off my interpretation of a big chunk of the episode. So thanks for that, Orphan Black. Thank you. And then Orphan Black says, you're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) As they smirk
1: and twirl their Mm -hmm. mustache.
2: Or beardy type things. They both have beardy type things, don't they? No, John doesn't. Just Graham.
1: (laughs) Oh, those them. Yeah. (laughs) It's like it's a show. It doesn't have facial hair, Stephanie.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, not since Seth died. (laughs) Okay, then. (laughs) And Paul. May he rest in peace. And Cal,
1: who is in Iceland now.
2: Uh, I miss Cal's beard. (laughs)
1: T'was a a good beard. I like that it's not not that you miss Cal. You just miss his beard. I miss him,
2: too, but I like his beard, okay? Okay. That's fine. You can miss his beard. That's not weird. (laughs) (laughs) So on to something more serious and probably not particularly interesting to most people. Best introduction ever. <laughs> I am curious.
1: <laughs> everybody turns Pe- off their. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go. Ahead.
2: <laughs> I am curious for people listening who have more experience and 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 knowledge of like disability studies than I do. How Rachel's storyline plays out from from that perspective, from a disability studies perspective. Is it reinforcing stereotypes? Is it kind of doing its own thing? because we have it's it's not uncommon for for disabled characters to be villainous. Rachel was villainous before she was disabled, but that can also be a trope. We have, you know her improving, and we did have that moment where. Felix kind of looked like a monster for how he interacted with Rachel, partially because she was very disempowered, which had to do with at least her temporary disability. So I've been thinking about this a lot and, and wondering where they were going to go with this storyline. And I'm, and I'm not entirely sure I have a good theory on it. A good, as, as you can tell, I, I feel like I can't articulate my, my opinion of how they've executed this very well. So if other people have been thinking about it and have thoughts, I would love to hear them.
1: My stance is always, let's see how the rest of the season plays out, because the show tends to do this thing where they start off with stuff that's, you know, stereotypical or, or very much a trope, and then they flip it. So I'm curious to see how it's going to play out as a whole. So shall we talk about poor, poor Crystal?
2: Okay, so we talked about before who gets to kill Rudy. I'm going to say now Crystal totally has dibs on punching Rachel next. Crystal calls dibs. That's fair. Okay. That's totally
1: fair. And Dr. Nealon. Yes.
2: I think she should get to like throat
1: punch Dr. Nealon.
2: <laughs> what about junk punch? Can you <laughs> junk that's punch? That's good him? too. Okay.
1: <laughs> both. Let's do both. <laughs> no mercy.
2: <laughs> no, no, because I just uh oh, once it, it clicked for me, what they had done to to Crystal, it's just like, my heart just sank. It's just so unbelievably awful. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a good segue.
1: You got an email from Davia. She says, my heart aches for Crystal. What Rachel did to her was unspeakable. The fact that Crystal could have offered a lot to Clone Club makes it even worse. She was already investigating her attempted kidnapping and her new boyfriend every two years. Like Sarah, she was unorthodox and would have been a great asset. The fact that Felix chose not to tell her anything hurts my opinion of him. That also left Crystal vulnerable to Dr. Nealon at the end.
2: See, I I disagree on maybe the last two sentences. I feel like this is another time when there wasn't a good choice Mm -hmm. in regards to whether they tell Crystal or don't tell Crystal. Right. Because, especially from Sarah's perspective, she's just been run ragged with all of this clone stuff the past several months. I could see her thinking she was doing Crystal a favor, leaving her innocent and and not knowing.
1: Right. Well, and the fact that the season starts off with this whole talk about Helsinki and the fact that they know is basically what's going to get them and everyone who loves them executed. Yeah. So coming at it that way, you can see, yeah, if she can stay unaware of all of this and go on living a relatively normal life, by all means, let her. Right, but yeah, and it's one of those things. I she's kind of in danger either way, so because
2: mm-hmm. I can totally f- understand Felix's impulse to want to tell her mm-hmm. because she's part of this whole thing and she's being monitored and her, having her life manipulated to a certain extent by this organization and she doesn't even know it. So I can understand both sides completely. So I I don't. It, I don't think less of Sarah or Felix for not telling her. I just think there wasn't a great choice here.
1: Right. Plus the fact that this episode specifically starts off with Delphine going and talking to her to make sure she doesn't know that much. So, I mean, Dyad is keeping tabs on her so they can be aware of whether or not she's becoming self-aware or not. So, yeah, I I don't know. There's no good answer. I, I also don't know that she's actually, like, investigating the kidnapping and the new boyfriend, like she's aware of it, but I don't know that she's actively pursuing it. I think if she was actively pursuing it, it would have been dangerous for her.
2: I have been pondering this question of if they had told Crystal about being a clone, would that have potentially saved her from Dr. Nealon? And I don't know that it would have. I don't think she necessarily would have you know, left work and gone with Sarah and Felix after they said, told her this thing. So I think that's up in the air as to whether her outcome would have been different had they told her.
1: Right. That is a big variable too, because, you know, personal reaction to news that big does vary quite a bit. So
2: yeah, I don't know. But can I just, can I just please, please, please plead that Crystal gets to keep her eye?
1: I know. I'm sad that you even bring it up. (laughs)
2: Well, I didn't even think about it, but my stupid partner, who likes to get all depressing, was like, I hope they don't take Crystal's eyes. Like, I didn't even think about that. Thank you. I think they just had Dr. Nealon lift up the gauze so that it was very clear that... It wasn't Rachel. That it wasn't Rachel. But how far will he go to convince Delphine otherwise? Like, I don't think... Because he's in charge of her care, but... Presumably, there could be nurses and other people who would come in to check on her, mm-hmm. and you know, well, shouldn't I check her eye? Like, no, don't check her eye. Like, he would either have to get the nurses not to, you know, to keep that secret, or actually make it look like she doesn't have an eye,
1: or keep it so that he's the only one who checks on her. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but
2: I don't trust that's Dr. Anything. Well no, you shouldn't. Clearly. Please let keep let Crystal keep her eye.
1: So sad. I know.
2: We got an email from Kelly who said, I really loved this episode for many reasons, and one of them was how Crystal was portrayed. When she was talking to Delphine at the beginning of the episode, Delphine concluded she didn't know anything at all about Lita and Castor. Sarah and Felix also completely underestimate her at first, and I have to admit, I did too. But it becomes clear that she knows quite a bit more than we thought, and is much more intelligent and perceptive than she seems. This seems to be an an allegory too, and maybe even social commentary, about how traditionally feminine women are constantly seen and portrayed as unintelligent And vain, and how unfair and inaccurate that is! I just love that she was given a full, multifaceted personality in such a short time, and I instantly felt attached to her and interested in her story.
1: I like that comment, Kelly. I like it a
2: lot. I like that comment a lot. I I I co-sign, right? That's what you say, Chris. Yes, that's what the young kids are saying these days. I co-sign that. I like. I I didn't really. It was interesting because again, my partner we were watching, and when that. We we see that first opening scene, my partner said, oh, you know how we've been saying, I don't remember saying this, that we'd like to see maybe a a clone that wasn't as bright. I think we've got that clone. Which surprised me. I was like, why do you think that? We'd only just met her. (laughs) That surprised me
1: that she said that.
2: Yeah, it's like, we have no idea how intelligent she is. She's just said a few sentences to Delphine. But... And I think you know, as well as the fact as how she was dressed and and how she spoke, I, I do the think sort very of inti- valley
1: girl accent.
2: Yeah, that the writers were taking on, like you, you're going to think this thing about her because of the way that she looks and acts, and we're going to show you that she's more than that, which is what the show loves to do—to present us with these more cardboard stereotypes and and sh- give them layers.
1: Yeah, and it's it's wonderful that the show does that. I love it so much. And somebody actually wrote a thing similar to that on Tumblr. I I think I have it queued up to reblog on our site. So similar, similar commentary.
2: But I just felt like that first scene, I I just love Evelyn and, and Tatiana working together. They're just so great. But it just felt like the first scene, it was pretty much just Evelyn looking at her in wonder and awe and being like, this is just amazing. This is fantastic. (laughs) <laughs> to me, it looked
1: like I'm trying very hard not to laugh.
2: <laughs> well, well, that too. But it's just like it, she just seemed completely tickled mm-hmm. <laughs> by by what was happening.
1: By Crystal.
2: I, yeah, exactly. I'm not saying that she broke character or anything like that. but Oh, no. Just to, just to me in that moment, it, it almost seems like it could have been just Evelyn being tickled by Tatiana and her performance.
1: I mean, it reads very much as like polite interest.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But yeah. I like Crystal though. I do. I'm sad about where that is right now. Storylines. Yeah,
2: I I liked her so much. I want her to come back. But revealing that there was yet another Lita clone. What did they say? Thirty-five kilometers away, something like that. Three hundred. No, it was like three hundred fifty kilometers. Yeah, three hundred fifty kilometers away. Add a ten. Add a zero at the end. What I said. <laughs> like what? What exactly was the the dispersment rate of the of the clone embryos? I'm wondering. Yeah, I don't know. Because by now we've met, I guess, 350 kilometers. They weren't necessarily in Canada anymore. But it just seems like we've had a, a pretty big cluster of Lita clones in one particular area. But we don't really know of others that were that close together.
1: I think her
2: cards and such were Canadian. I'm pretty sure. Okay. And and, and I think Felix tips her with Canadian money. So. Yes. So, yeah. Th- they were in Canada. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Who knows?
1: Plus, people people migrate. Anyway.
2: <laughs> it was interesting seeing Sarah and Felix and their interactions with Crystal, seeing them sort of back in their old element, using their old skill set. It kind of makes you wonder if they'd
1: ever done joined cons before. Mm-hmm. Or at least I wondered.
2: <laughs> but both of them seemed uncomfortable dipping back into that well of resources. They... Sarah was a little bit more determined because she felt like they needed to do this because it was important, but neither one of them seemed to love what they were doing. right? But then it's like, is it
1: because they're beyond, you know, in their personal lives, have they moved past the the grifting or is it specific to Crystal, do we think?
2: Right. Is it – because I think that was part of it. It's like they're going to – Mess up this girl's life, or Rachel, who they know who they know and think is terrible. Bloody Rachel, so, exactly. So, was it just this particular situation, or have they really turned over a new leaf in regards to that aspect of their lives? I'm not sure. It might be a little bit of both. It was interesting and, but also a little weird to hear Jordan Gavaris using his actual accent on the show. It I was- kept
1: having this moment where it's like I had to keep reminding myself that's what he actually sounds like. Yeah, <laughs> it's like oh wait. He looks and sounds like
2: Jordan Guevara's, but it it feels so weird. He was even dressed kind of how Jordan might dress. That's I could see Jordan wearing that particular outfit too. Now that you mention it, yeah, he looked great and and sounded great. Oh, totally. But it was it was a little unse- unsettling to hear him use his real voice, his real accents on the show.
1: It was odd. I love
2: when he he dipped back into his British accent. This is my truth voice. Oh, okay. (laughs) I love that she just immediately was like, oh, yeah, totally. The easy acceptance of it. Yeah, I I loved that. It was great.
1: (laughs) Of course your truth voice is British. I don't know. I don't know why I would have questioned it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But what do you think of the fact that it was fairly easy for Felix to shed more of his, like, theatrical mannerisms and, and such to, I, I, you know, pretty much read as straight. Did you have thoughts on, on that? What that might mean? No.
1: (laughs) Just, I mean, well, because they're grifters. This is what they do, right? They're basically, Mm -hmm. you know, this is him being Allison's acting coach, except for himself. (laughs) You know?
2: I kind of liked it in that I feel like we often see storylines on shows where the flamboyantly gay character gets lessons from straight guys on how to act straighter, mm. and here it was, he just did it. He's like, I can act this way, but I don't want to. This is who I am. Yep. I have
1: no deep thoughts about this. I just disagree with you. <laughs> that's fine.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know that it was necessarily purposeful, but that's what crossed my head was it was it defied that trope of, oh, the gay character needs to act straighter for an episode for some reason. Right. I don't or know the- why I went into that voice, but it did. <laughs> well, because that, that actually made me think
1: about the fact that, yeah, very often, if you, if you get that storyline, they way overshoot mm-hmm. <laughs> and end up as like some sort of weird cowboy.
2: Gross cowboy who's slapping women's butts. Yes. There's something like that. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. A caricature... So based on the last conversation between we see between Sarah and Felix and Mrs. S, do we do you think we're off to London next week?
1: Um, I hesitate to say because I saw the thing, so I know what's happening next week.
2: But <sighs> <sighs> do, do you think we're going to go to London eventually? <laughs> yes, no? You could I give mean, me a no. Well, that's fine.
1: Okay, okay, here. From what we saw in this episode, just even without seeing the preview, yeah, that's what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. It sounds like they are going to London to investigate.
2: But I'm wondering what they'll do there. The me thinks like, oh, maybe that means that Sarah could maybe see Kira, because they'd be kind of closer together. Maybe there could be a pit stop in Reykjavik. Hmm. That would be nice. Probably not, but it would be nice.
1: I would think Sarah would probably be focused on getting the mission accomplished. But, but yeah, maybe. I don't know. But she's so much closer to her kid. No, I, I know. <laughs> I know, but... Sarah and her laser focus sometimes, you know?
2: But if we do get a trip to London, then we're this is truly the season of Mrs. S. International Badass, because that will have been three countries we see her in.
1: Yes. It's wonderful.
2: Mm-hmm. Moving on to, to Great Scott. It was nice to see how much Scott was im and his resources were embedded in the plan for this week, the way that they used his gamer group.
1: It was so wonderful. It's like nerds banding together to live out their Mission Impossible fantasies.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Scott, this is so cool. (laughs) Whatever the one guy says. And we got to see Scott's apartment, which made me super happy. I like seeing where people live. I think you get to know more about a character when you see their homes. Agreed. Yeah. And I just thought his apartment was perfect. I was like, Yep. That's that's pretty much what I thought Scott's apartment would look like. It kind
1: of looks like like a comic shop or some other form of nerd haven. I wonder if Scott calls his apartment nerd haven.
2: <laughs> I I doubt it. But keep dreaming. <laughs> Kelly wrote us and said, yay for Scott's geek-tastic apartment. Not yay for you, Rudy, threatening Denise the cat. She has feline asthma, you guys. Protect her at all costs. At least they didn't go with the gratuitous murder of animals for shock value. Yes, thank you. Which many shows and movies seem to do very casually. And I'm very relieved and happy that Kasima was so understanding towards Scott about giving the book to Rudy. She gets the love that Scott has for his cat. I really love their friendship. I love it too. Me too. And it made me happy that, you know, it cuts to Rudy threatening Denise and Scott making this adorably, horribly sad face. Like, it was both adorable and just completely heartbreaking at the same time, his sad face. And, And then the next time we see his apartment, it's the first shot we get is of Denise perfectly fine. I was like, thank you. Thank you for not like, it making me wait. It's like, she's fine, guys. She's fine. She's fine.
1: <laughs> it was nice of them to do that. It's like, oh, yeah. oh, good. Establishing shot of safe Denise. Yes. I appreciate that.
2: And we asked on Twitter if people had any thoughts about if Denise was named after someone, either like a nerdy character or a science figure, because I'm thinking back to the birds that Ethan Duncan had, and he had one named Rosalind, which was named after, I'm pretty sure named after a scientist who was involved in in working with DNA. So if anybody has any thoughts on Famous Denise's, I'd be curious to hear them.
1: Oh, similarly, we got an email from Paul. Paul wanted to know if Dr. Cody was named after any scientist or anything since Dr. Leakey we thought was named after the um anthropologist, right? Yes. So That's a good question. If anybody knows, let us know. Doctor Cody. Anyway, back to Denise the cat. Yeah. I don't know of anything either. I'd mentioned this to you earlier and I'm gonna go ahead and say it on the podcast. Maybe Scott was a big fan of the Cosby show growing up and had a crush on Lisa Bonet. I mean I don't know.
2: Who didn't have a crush on Lisa Bonet, Scott? Who didn't? It's okay if you did. You can tell us. (laughs) She's very attractive, Chris. I know.
1: (laughs) I know. Also, talking about Denise, there is the shot of Rudy holding Denise. And that's sort of a, a reference to the famous James Bond villain, Ernst Stavro Blofeld, which other things like Dr. Evil... In Austin Powers, that's a also a reference. Oh, Dr. Claw in Inspector Gadget.
2: But my dad <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> <sighs> I always felt bad for Penny. She never got any credit. I know. Long suffering Penny. I know. And Brain. Yes. And Brain. They were they were the brains behind the operation. Totally. And didn't get any credit.
1: Anyway, but my dad pointed out that. The uh, James Bond reference during the episode.
2: Yes, because not only was Rudy in a chair, kind of scratching the cat's head, and it was like a fluffy white, white-ish cat, but Rudy also has a scar on his eye, which Doctor er- er Ernst Stavro Blofeld also had a scar on his eye.
1: Moving on from Bond villains to... No, I don't even have a good segue for this, but...
2: Though <laughs> so you compared Delphine to a Bond villain when she was drinking whiskey and looking up pictures the other week. So that's kind of a segue. Okay. We'll work with that. (laughs)
1: Let's talk about Delphine, Cosima, and shay the love triangle. I feel immediately uncomfortable. (laughs) As you should. Damn love triangles. That's okay. It's okay. It will be okay. It will be okay. So why do we think... Kissima decided that now would be a good time to bring Shay to Dyad. Do we think it's because of the way last episode ended?
2: Yes. I think because she started to open up to her about her respiratory illness, I think she might be thinking it's time to ease Shay into some of her secrets if she wants the relationship to last more long term. I think that's fair. Though – I will say I was a bit disappointed after the dramatic ending last episode when Kasima was just like, "I'm fine." It was scary and gross, but I'm fine. It's part of a normal progression. It was a. L- I wanted a little bit more urgency, not that I wanted Kasima dead, but and I guess we get it a little later on in the episode when Delphine and she are talking about the clone in Poland from Poland who died. Mm-hmm. But it was a little bit like, really, really, everything's fine now. Fine, you get me all worked up, and then no payoff. Darn it! <laughs> yeah,
1: they kind of did that last season, but worse. Yeah, with uh, the collapse,
2: the collapsing. That was a much more panic-inducing moment, though.
1: Yes, well, that's what I'm saying. Is that was that was worse, but it yeah. resolved itself similarly. Where the next episode starts, and Kasim like lying on a bed and has the the nasal cannula, but she's okay.
2: Yeah, but there was at least a depreciable decline at that point. In this episode, she was still pretty much the way she had been. So, I'm not- Again, it sounds like I want Kasima to be worse. I don't. But But I want my worry to be not for nothing. (laughs) If you're going to stress me out, give me something. Good news
1: or bad. Oh, dear. But, I mean, I guess that was the thing, though, is it seemed like at the end of last episode- Fandom was freaking out more than Casima was. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like, it looked bad, granted, but I don't know.
2: Since we were discussing the end of last week's episode, do we want to segue into <laughs> <laughs> the period period? <laughs>
1: You've said it. Now I feel like we have to.
2: <laughs> so I suggested a menstruation section, but Chris decided that period period. Sounded better. <laughs> I didn't say it
1: sounded better. I was like,
2: wait, <laughs> here's another name for that. <laughs> <laughs> so if talk of menstruation grosses you out, deal with it. We're going to talk about it for a little while here. You can fast forward if you. I was going to say, just skip ahead a couple minutes. Here. Yeah, just skip ahead a little bit. So we got a we got a voicemail from Colleen, who I liked her her denial theory was that Cosima's uh, fine. She just you know took a bath and happened to get her period, and it
0: happens sometimes, and it's gross. Hi, I'm Colleen, and I was just uh, calling to share our my friends and my personal theory on Cosima's tragic bath from 307. I know it's a little late so we already did the podcast episode for that, but we are all firmly in denial about her illness and just decided that she forgot what week it was, and it's just on her period because there are some weeks when you shouldn't take a bath because it'll just get gross. And so that's our personal theory, which we firmly hope will not be... uh you know, unconfirmed, I guess, in 308 tomorrow. Anyway, I love the podcast. Um, my Tumblr handle is I-am-haunted-by-humans if you want that, I guess. Anyway, thank you. Bye.
1: I think we also did get a, a tweet from somebody.
2: The tweet was saying, was anybody else surprised that the Lita clones had periods? Because both Al- Allison mentioned the minstrel flow in this episode. And uh, no, I assume they did. Because if nothing else, back in season one, Paul said to Sarah, you know, I was with Beth when she was told she couldn't have children. And you can be infertile and still get a menstrual period. So I wasn't surprised.
1: Yeah, it's one of those where the issues are in the
2: system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is that the end of our period period? <laughs> <laughs> I I don't
1: know. I just, I guess I was just like a little surprised that everybody was freaking out so, so severely about the end of last episode because, you know,
2: these things happen. Yeah, it, w- <laughs> it was, it was worrisome, but at the same time, we'd seen Gracie have a hemorrhage and recover okay. So worrisome, but I didn't think she was going to die mm-hmm. right then. Shall we move on then? Yeah. But getting Delphine. Getting Delphine, Casima, and Shay into one room—oh, again, so very awkward. I don't really believe Delphine with her claim that she's not jealous. Yeah, I don't know. I'm French. We enjoy lovers. What a line! What, is, what just what a, what a strange thing to say? Awkward thing to say to you, your ex girlfriend. Like, was that the point? Was she trying to I make things awkward and uncomfortable? Maybe. Or to be like, oh, I'm totally nonchalant. Though I don't think she is. I don't think she is nonchalant. I think Shay really bothers her.
1: Well, she had a file on her, so... Mm-hmm. Which I'm not surprised about. No. So, I have some some wardrobe decision questions. And I don't... Make, you probably noticed this, but I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. So, in episodes 5 through 7, I think pretty much every time we've seen Shay, she's been in sort of like a white or cream-colored outfit. hmm This episode, she's wearing gray and black. So do we think this symbolizes her... Well, we'll just go ahead and get this out of the way. Do we think it's because they're sort of making her look potentially guilty? Do we think it's because of that? Or is it reflective of the fact that she has been read into the Dyad situation, kind of? read into uh kasima has told her about her illness oh, so okay she is no longer pure and innocent in that way like she's now involved in it so mm. she's not this bright shiny thing anymore who who was separate from all of this mess now she's involved is it that or is it because we thought she was innocent and now she's guilty <laughs> what do we think the the wardrobe decision change is representative of or am i overthinking it
2: I don't think you're overthinking it, because I think for sure in this episode, they are trying to get us to think that Shay was the one who let the caster project know about the book. Mm-hmm. Definitely, that was a big hint in this episode. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was the intention of the wardrobe change. I did notice that she looked different than usual, but I hadn't really put it together that it was the color scheme. But you're right. Mm hmm.
1: Well, because they've been doing it this season already with Delphine. Delphine's now very often in black. hmm Occasionally, she'll have, like, a white shirt on under, like, a black blazer or something. But And, and we've seen her in gray a few times this season, like, in the first episode. hmm Which is, you know, it's all very much more the dyad color scheme of, of blacks, whites, and grays, as we've always seen Rachel in before, right? So, anyway... As opposed to the the color scheme that was more similar to what Casimo's wearing Casimo was wearing in the first two seasons.
2: I remember somebody had hypothesized that perhaps Shay was a dyad monitor. Right. While where I still think that might be awkward from Delphine's perspective, but I guess that's still a possibility, so perhaps the wardrobe change is indicating that. I don't think she's
1: dyad. I'm pretty sure.
2: I don't either. Mackenzie but.
1: Donaldson also said that she's not dyad.
2: Okay, then there you go. I was
1: just throwing it out there. Oh, I know. I'm just, I'm just volleying it back to you.
2: <laughs> so can I talk about my Del feelings, Chris? Please do. I'm sure people want to hear them. I have very complicated Del feelings. Maybe people don't want to hear them. <laughs> I have very complicated I'm kidding, I'm dull feelings. Go, go on. Because. I love Delphine. I think she's a super interesting character. I still very much believe that she has the best of intentions when it comes to Kasima. Mm-hmm. But I i finally figured out what has been bothering me the most about her this season is that because she has that relationship with-, with Kasima, because she's seen what it feels like for the clones to be in the situation that Dyad puts them in, it's hard for me to see her playing... Dyad slash topside's game so, so fully. I get that probably her intent is to blend in so she doesn't stand out. Mm-hmm. But because I know she knows how Cosima felt about being monitored and, and things like that, I, w- I want her to, you know, be overturning, you know, doing things differently and, and, you know, embracing a different paradigm than her predecessor. So it's hard for me to see her put put the the clone club through these things
1: right you'd rather her change the system from the inside but yeah Yeah. the fact that she's sort of middle management now still though i think you know prevents her from being able to do that yeah because yeah i think if she tries she definitely will just she'll get fired or worse right so
2: so i i recognize that it's not necessarily a rational desire of mine right but it's still there you know i understand
1: (laughs) It's like, this is what we wish could happen, even though we realize it can't, you know, reasonably happen that way. No, I Mm -hmm. understand. I I have similar complicated Del feelings, because I do like Delphine. I like her a lot, but it's just, it's hard this season to like her. She's doing really unlikable things, even though you know that she's, in almost all likeliness, doing it for the characters that we all know and love and care about. But yeah, it's... It's tricky. It's so tricky.
2: It was also really hard for me to watch the scenes between her and Kasima this week. Because while I was glad that they were finally talking about some stuff, it was super tough, especially hearing Delphine really being pretty manipulative mm-hmm. of Kasima when it came to when she was trying to quit Dyad. And that sounded very much like she was talking like an ex rather than talking like her boss. Because it was like you you need me, how are you going to trust anybody without me?" It was super manipulative and uncomfortable making for me,
1: yeah, yeah, which is something we've sort of talked about before, I think, right, with the fact that Delphine and Kasima, the fact that Delphine's essentially her doctor and and now essentially her boss, and the fact that they had a relationship. It's all very, very complicated, and that's why there are rules against these sort of things. Right. Yeah, because then you get these situations where it's just, it's not good. And it is uncomfortable. It's, yeah.
2: And my partner thought that when they kiss, that was Delphine being manipulative of Cosima, but I disagree. I actually thought that was came from a very genuine place, but I was curious what you thought. I I could see it being either way. I
1: the way I tend to think of it is that that was that moment where Delphine couldn't keep up this thing that she's been trying to do all season, where she's trying to yeah. keep Cosima separate. Mm-hmm. And it very much felt to me like she just couldn't do it in that moment, and was going on what she wanted to do. Yeah. Because then, like they separate at the at the end, and like I can't actually tell if Delphine pushed her away or if Casima pulled away. I I still can't tell because mm-hmm. it kind of would work either way. Because it's a whole thing that shouldn't happen, really, given what's been going on all season. And yeah, it's it's kind of
2: heartbreaking. I also find found Delphine's line about "you should have trusted me with the book" a really interesting one. Because just in this episode, we see Delphine being willing to put Cosima on and deceive her in order to get at the book. And yet, I can see why, because of that, that line reads a little naive to me. Like, really, Delphine? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I can see where she's coming from because I think she's made very clear that she prioritizes Cosima's health above everybody, everything else and if that book really was the key to making Casima well the fact that she wouldn't trust her with it i could see why that that really would hurt delphine's feelings and that doesn't feel naive right yeah it's
1: interesting we were talking about the kiss scene to me the more sort of genuine intimate moment was the um the scene where they're talking about i think the are they talking about the polish clone I forget, but Delphine puts her hand on Cosima's for a second.
2: Oh, that's when they were talking about Cosima needing another stem cell treatment from Kira. That's right. That's yeah. right. And she's like, okay, we'll figure this out. And she puts her hand on top of Casima's. Yeah. It, that was interesting, too, to see how easily they fell back into rhythm with working with each other and being kind of close with each other again. hmm It made me miss science girlfriends a lot, Chris. Yeah, me too. <sighs> Everything's so heartbreaking, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> but let's move on perhaps to a, a slightly happier storyline with the the Hendrixes and Helena and we got a voice message
1: can I just say I have this written in the notes as Helena and the Hendrixes partially because of Harry and the Hendersons Hendersons, okay <laughs> because it amused me
2: and I'm weird <laughs> we got a voicemail from Colleen about about Donnie and Helena
0: Okay, so I have a lot of feelings about 3.08, and uh, the bad part is I initially watched this episode at about 3 in the morning, and I had to have all of these feelings very quietly so as not to wake anyone up, so that was fun. Um, in no particular order, uh, Donnie had his first line in the entire show that I actually gave a single darn about because um, I just do not care about Donnie. I don't really, like, hate him, but I just don't care about him. But for his line about how he may be a bitch, but he's Allison's bitch, I literally punched the air because that is 100% accurate and 100% perfect. Obviously, Helena is very precious, and her laughter just makes me, uh, I don't know, like, happy. I don't know. I was going to come up with a metaphor, but I don't have one. Um, And I just really appreciate that Helena told Gracie, hey, it's not your fault that you had a miscarriage, because I feel like no one's actually said that to her yet. Like, she went straight from having this horrible thing happen to her to being yelled at and blamed and touched by creepy old Bolethean men and then thrown out. So, like, thank you, Helena. So thanks, Colleen, for sending that in.
1: See, I, I like Donnie, though. I mean, I get that Donnie's not everybody's cup of tea. That's... Fine, I understand. But I liked that line too though.
2: And I was wondering if it was perhaps the writers giving a nod to I'm forgetting who where the article was, but we talked about this article when we talked about feminism and Orphan Black and somebody wrote about the different types of masculinity on the show and described Denny Denny? Where did that come from? Donny? <laughs>
1: I have no idea.
2: <laughs> and described Donnie as as a oh shoot. How did you describe him, Chris? uh emasculated? Yes. And she described Donnie as a, like an emasculated character but finding power in being an emasculated character. So I wonder if that might not be a nod to that article. Mhm. The writers tend to be good about keeping up with such things. Right. But
1: I like that line for Donnie cuz it's like, you know, I know that my wife is a super awesome alpha dog and like I'm I'm okay with that. Why shouldn't I embrace that? You go, Donnie. You tell stupid Jason Kellerman.
2: (laughs) I'm still not sure how I feel about Donnie doing what he did in texting Jason with Allison's phone. Yeah, that's not great. But I thought it was going to be worse. I thought he was going to go through her text messages and then confront her about it. Mm. To me, that would have been worse, but I'm still not 100% behind Donnie stealing his wife's phone to do that. Yeah, Donnie.
1: But Donnie does nothing if not get himself into trouble. I did also like Colleen's comment about Gracie and Helena. Yes. And the the thing is, I kind of feel like maybe Mrs. S did give that message in, in some form to Gracie, you know? I kind of got that vibe from them before.
2: Yes, but I think it was important for Gracie to hear it from Helena. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, the way that she phrases the line, you know, I'm sorry that I lost our baby. Because clearly she was thinking of it as not just just hers, but Helena's as well. So it was an important moment between those two characters. And I'm surprised how much I'm liking Gracie's storyline in this season.
1: Mm -hmm. It just makes me happy thinking about that scene and Helena and the hugging and the
2: cheek kiss. And then Helena looking very sort of happy. Not to mention the awesomely awkward Helena flirting with Donnie. (laughs) Helena's
1: so precious. And uh, and Helena and Donnie interacting is gold. It is. It really is. <laughs> uh, baby ox talk and whatnot. So I think my favorite thing in the entire episode is the score during Helena's scenes in Bubbles. I don't know if you were paying attention to this or not, but... The score is basically a merging of Helena's theme and the Hendrix theme.
2: Mm, I'll have to go back and listen to it,
1: and it's wonderful because you know the you know what I mean the Hendrix music, right? Where it's sort of there's sort of
2: bum, dun, dun, dun. yeah, I do.
1: They're <laughs> sort of like goofy but like slightly sinister kind of a <laughs> yes, <laughs> and you know it sort of bops along, and mm-hmm. then there's Helena's kind of creepy music, and and it was a Like, this weird, beautiful merging of the two, and I loved it. Second favorite thing in the episode, Helena's scenes in Bubbles. (laughs) And the fact that when Donnie leaves her in the storeroom and closes the door behind him, you can still hear her laughing. (laughs) It just makes me so happy, Stephanie.
2: It's great to see Helena be so happy. (laughs) (sighs) And Helena
1: is strong like two baby oxes, so... So that might be a good job for her. (laughs) So random thoughts. I I don't know if you are aware of this, but there were scenes that were cut from the episode, and that makes me sad.
2: That doesn't surprise me. There was a whole lot going on in this episode. There was. There was an awful lot.
1: But if you look at the promo photos that were released, Mm -hmm. there are at least two scenes that are in the promo photos that are not in the episode. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping like tremendously much that they are on the DVDs because I want to see those scenes. Do you want me to tell you what the scenes are? <laughs> sure. Or, or do you, would you rather live in, in blissful ignorance? You can tell me. Okay. One of the scenes was a scene with Shay and Cosima. Cause I think it, picks up where the scene ended with with Shay coming in the door after Kasima had hung up with Sarah. You know what I'm talking about at the beginning of the episode? Yes. Because the, there are pictures of Shay handing Kasima a flower. So apparently there was more to that scene. And then there are also pictures of uh, Mrs. S and Delphine talking in dyad, it looks like.
2: Hmm. I'm like, I have no idea what that's about, but I'm so curious. It's also possible that those might be from another episode, a future episode. Sometimes that'll happen; they'll get mislabeled. Right. The
1: the Delphine and Mrs. S one. That's what I mean. Yeah, could very well be. But the other one was like really clearly a continuation of where right. they left off at
2: the beginning of this episode. Right. So keep hope that maybe that Delphine Mrs. S is in the next episode.
1: But then I've spoiled you.
2: Oh, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: just feel so guilty when it happens, Stephanie. Because you make me feel
2: guilty. <laughs> I mo- mainly don't want to watch promos because they are generally so misleading.
1: Okay, So fair pr-
2: promo material, don't tell me. But that sort of stuff, that's fine. Okay. We also got an email from Kate who said, I loved this week's episode, but there was one tiny thing that confused me. When they lay out all the contents from Crystal's wallet on the table, there's a driver's license. Shouldn't they have found Crystal when Beth did the facial recognition check on driver's licenses?
1: Yes, probably. Unless Crystal didn't have a driver's license then.
2: <laughs> but we have also seen that Beth knew about other clones that Allison and Kasima didn't realize because right. she knew about Tony. Mm-hmm. So it's possible she did know about Crystal but hadn't contacted her yet.
1: Right. Or maybe she'd realized what was going on and realized that maybe it was dangerous to contact everybody.
2: Right. Mm-hmm
1: like maybe she'd already contacted Allison and Kasima and then realized things were much more dangerous than she thought and yeah i right. don't know there are there are explanations
2: right and also Sarah mentions in this episode when she's talking to Kasima at the beginning by the way love that scene when they when Kasima and Sarah were talking So it great. was just this nice yeah, it was kind of a nice pause where we just get to see these characters checking in with relate each other. to each other and check in. Yeah, yeah. But in that scene, Sarah mentions to Kasima feeling like she wants to finish what Beth started. So I'm wondering if it's possible we might see that Beth did find more clones that that Allison and Kasima didn't know about.
1: Entirely possible.
2: I'm also wondering if Sarah's desire to finish what Beth started might lead us back to Tony entering the picture. Could. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Paul sent us an
1: email saying, awesome to have the show get back to the characters devising plots to get what they desire, only to have other characters' desires wreck everything with their own plots. They're not as awesome as the wreckage that Vic and Paul created during Allison's block party in season one. I do kind of appreciate it when, when that happens. Where they've got the, the different plots going.
2: Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then nope. <laughs> Not what you thought was going to happen, characters. Oh, I thought this episode was great. Like, this is the type of writing that I always really love on Orphan Black, where they have, they are executing this plan throughout the episode, and you're, you're uncertain about it, and you're not quite sure what's, what's going to happen, but you still don't quite see what's coming at the very Mm -hmm. end, and there's a twist. Like, this is the type of writing I really enjoy, and I think they do really well in Orphan Black. So, right. Big two thumbs up for me for this episode. And then it gets to the end and you're like, ah, oh, I
1: should have seen that coming.
2: Yep. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes over at com slash 78. You can send us an email to feedback at com. You can call and leave a voicemail on our listener voicemail line, 972-514-7223. We are on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we're also on Facebook. And in this episode, Clone Club's trust issues were played by Tatiana Mislani.
1: Thanks for listening.